Okay. What are you getting? What do you have? I, I've just got a, uh, I'm going to have one whiskey neat, um, but just a couple of fingers. So no big deal. And you? Oh, some wine from my kids that they really love. So I'm like, going with it. <laughs> no, uh, no brand name or anything. Oh, I think it's called, don't ask me that. I don't have it in front of me. Well, <laughs> do I you like want me to... to get it for you? No, no, no. That's okay. It'll be, it'll be uncredited. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I haven't started <laughs> drinking yet, but. Yep. Let's get that liquid refreshment chat right out of the way. We've got lots of interesting stuff to talk about today. Uh, we want to get going. So welcome back. Welcome back to the Telewhiskey podcast. Telewhiskey is a series of conversations, specifically digital conversations that provoke. Uh, this is a different kind of digital podcast. We want to look at new questions, go beyond buzzwords, and we may, if it comes up, talk about some of that technology too. Remember, your digital business will only succeed when it learns how to connect with people. Uh, sounds like a contradiction in terms, digital versus human, but the struggle to humanize the change brought on by all of this tech, well, that's been going on for some time. And we are seeing plenty of impact these days, huge social and cultural shifts. The COVID pandemic has really tipped some apple carts. Yes, we are talking about the stuff that really matters for your customers and suppliers, your managers and your team. And this podcast brings together a diverse set of voices that can drill into what matters from multiple angles. Predictably, I am Jim McLennan, your host for the next 30 minutes, plus or minus. I am running Maker Turtle LLC as a thought leadership platform. Lots of neat stuff over there. Please check it out at MakerTurtle.com. And the show today is brought to you by the book, Don't Think So Much, A Simpler Approach to Digital Transformation, published by MT Press. And you can find out more about the book at don'tthinksomuch.com. All right, I am uh, back from a break of a few weeks, uh, and we are back again with episode nine of Telewhiskey. My conversation today is continuing a trend. It's interesting how much of the podcast so far has been stayed true to the simple vision laid out in the book, Don't Think So Much. Uh, sponsor of the show. Thank you. The central idea today is that team, think people and culture, values and engagement, your team is a critical component of your digital business, just as important as your products and customers. And so far in this podcast, we've had more people and culture and diversity and training conversations than we have had uh, talking, been talking about data or technology which is the way I wanted to see it happen. We are staying consistent with that vision. And this week, another conversation along those lines. We're going to drill into diversity, equity, and inclusion and really try to put a digital lens on these topics. This conversation was recorded very early in 2021, and COVID and other national and world events continue to morph their impact. But most of the topics we cover today are actually kind of timeless. Uh, today, we're going to talk with Judy. I've known her for many years, an accomplished author, speaker, and actually a pretty good supply chain professional. But let me get out of the way as we meet. 
So I'm Judy Foley. I um, have a company called Navigate Transformation, and we focus on supply chain operations and M&A integration. And the thing that I really love in the what we focus on is about change management, transformation, and also really looking at the strategy. What is the strategy of the organization? How do we impact that? And how do we get the results that the organization is going to want? And how are we going to measure those results? And then another aspect that I have really taken on is corporate culture. I love corporate culture. I think it's going to be the defining point for any company that will determine who, whether they have the best people working in, in their organization. Are they following through on the values they have? And are they allowing the people to speak about you know, opportunities within the organization that's going to better it? If people feel comfortable with being able to speak that and tell where there's opportunities, the whole organization is going to rise. But it can't be that uh, people are complaining. It has to be, how do we fix it? I've always been taught from a training perspective, don't come to me with just a problem. Tell me how you think you're going to fix it. Don't come to me just with that problem. So I think that's what you have to train your people to think that way and really bring those opportunities to the table and really prioritize which ones are going to make the biggest impact. So when I talk to people about digital uh, transformation, I always talk about my five components, right? Systems for operations, customers, products, data, and how you work with it. And then finally, the team, right? So in your parlance, you know, or in my parlance, the way I look at it, you know, team, culture, everything else like that is one of five. Equally important, but one of five. Uh, in your mind, is is this this team and culture rise to number one or is it sort of the top three or is that is it comfortable being equal to a lot of other sort of moving pieces kind of how important is this it's all very important but in the top tier of important how important is culture well i think culture is going to be like i said the defining factor as to whether you get the best people people want to work for a company that have an excellent culture where they have a leader that really is allowing change to happen, but the other side is is following through on what they say. Doesn't say one thing and do another. And those type of leaders are going to get people on board very quickly and the values that they present, if they're really following through on those values, people see that and they will follow through and help make that company rise. And really, I mean, when I, I worked at Motorola, that was the best culture I've ever seen. And I didn't even realize it at the time because that's all I was exposed to out of college. But that company had, it was the best people. And people came to that company because they had a reputation. They had a reputation about quality, process, engineering, um, and I think innovation. All of those things made the company stand out above the rest. And I think um, my perspective is that by being exposed to nothing but the best, you have to rise. You have to rise to be able to compete with your, your peers. And you don't even realize it, but that is critical to your success and it's critical to the company's success. If you've got the best people, you can take the organization to a much higher level. So, yeah, I got all excited when you answered that question because, oh, you just nailed one of them. 
the big reasons for a great culture in a company is the fact that it's it's a it's a recruiting tool. Uh, we're all in a war for talent. I've been hearing the idea war for talent uh, for years now, and I agree. It's really tough to find the right people in the right place with the right skills. And having a great culture is going to be something that brings them in. So what about the incumbents? Is it worthwhile trying to change the culture or trying to get people that are there right now to tag along? Or are you really only focused on bringing the new people in that get it? No, I think you have to try and, well, I will say from experience, when I was at Motorola, when they were actually making a lot of changes happen, I remember one VP finally saying, we've done all the training, we've done everything to help you be on board. And if you're not on board at this particular point in time, we're going to leave you behind. So in other words, they had they had already done a lot of the steps to help people get informed, educated, aware of the initiatives, and then moving forward. And if they were going to be pulling us back in any way, they weren't going to be the ones that would be kept. And I think that's going to be with any organization. You've got to be innovative and changing. And, and I don't just see it as a recruiting tool. I see it as much more culture is more than just a recruiting tool. It's about your reputation, what culture you have and what, what you allow to happen or what you are making changes in within the organization. Like what is the values you have within your organization will help people feel comfortable um, in that organization and being able to bring their best to work. So it's not just about recruiting. So I have to back up a sec and talk about this overall uh, conversation that we had. Judy and I spoke for almost an hour and a half, and I'm just picking out some of the choice bits of that talk. And uh, this last bit was Judy really hitting her stride with insights on culture based on her career experience. So much of the discussion we typically hear on the importance of culture is based on great ideas, but it really clicks when you have direct experience with it. This is a, another one of those situations where you know it when you see it, or in this case, you hear it. And uh, this idea of the war for talent is really true. I've been living it now for about eight years at least. And to me, it's important to realize that we kind of blow over the concept of finding the right people with the right skills. Having the right skills is a two-edged sword. You know, when you can find these folks, you have to recruit hard for them. You have to know, you have to make sure, you have to make sure that you can represent your company as a great place to work. And then internally, don't forget your existing team members. We need to support and encourage and demand their ongoing training because A, they want it, and B, hey, the digital world is changing fast. Yeah, it almost feels like I cut that last conversation with Judy off too quickly, but she's got a ton of great ideas and stories around diversity, equity, inclusion, and I want to get to those. So let's jump forward there. I, I rarely say this because sometimes if, if you're really into the, the whole thing about diversity, you say, oh, Jim, Jim, you're, you're taking all the cop outs, but but I think there's value in diversity of thought and diversity of background. And I pride myself on having a lot of different experiences in a lot of different companies and a lot of different ways of thinking about how to do things. And some people say, no, 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 Jim, that's, that's not the point of diversity. It's all about more core stuff. I'm like, well, yeah, but it also helps to have different ideas. I think you're right. To me, diversity and inclusion is about 
being open to different ideas. It's being open to different cultures. It's being open to different people. But I really have seen that the results of something like that is really about that you come up with much better decisions and you come up with much better results. If you have people who have had all different experiences, they're bringing different experiences to the table. Why not consider their approaches? Usually the overall team will come up with agreement as to what they want to go forward with. So if someone's bringing something that doesn't feel like it's a good fit, that's going to be addressed. But overall, I found it to be highly effective. And really they're showing statistically that when people are diverse in thought and diverse in background, that you have much better innovation that occurs and much better results as far as what your outcome is gonna be. And they're showing that even on boards. Okay, great idea. But I mean, do you have any stories or um, examples of where diversity, even even in a small way, uh, different ways of thinking can actually bring great value to the team? I've run multiple cross-functional teams. And if I did not have different teams that had different expertise and came to the top as far as their different ideas, you'd never get the best result. But what I have found from a best result standpoint is that these individuals are bringing new ways of doing things. So to give you an example, when I was creating the vendor management organization at CNA, we were first, um, I was doing RFPs with some of the team and re-engineering the processes. I asked for the best people and I, I said to the VP, let's get, you're having all these different people from different companies come in. Let's utilize their expertise, their diversity. All of that was being put together and we were able to come up with much better ways where we were able to save millions of dollars. We were able to improve the processes and really um, streamline the whole approach as to how we were doing things. So when you have a bunch of people in the room, just a really ticky-tacky question, when you have a bunch of people in the room like that, and yeah, you'll come up with a process that takes out the, the, the waste and the muda and stuff like that. But when you're actually going through the, let's figure out what's going on here, does all that diversity actually make the discovery and journey to a better place tougher? Well, some of it can be. I mean, you usually have one or two people on the team that potentially can make you take steps back, but I found that to be effective too um, because it makes you assess the decisions that you're making. So I've had, you know, where one person is definitely saying, nope, what, what you're coming up with is the wrong decision and, and the whole team's on the same page but this one individual is telling you that, no, that's not the right way. And they're putting their feet in and digging in. It's really addressing and understanding why they're feeling this way. It's digging into what the thoughts are and then really having to help them understand too what the direction of the corporation is, what we're trying to achieve, what this project is going to achieve and what the results are going to be. And sometimes it's influencing around them too to help them get on board to the change. It's not always easy for change, and but there's usually good points to be taken from that person. There's usually some reasons that are holding them back, and if you can look at what those reasons are, how does it get applied within your overall result? Yeah, yeah. You know, the interesting thing is, if you think about it, uh, I could have a room full of people that are lifers at this company, 
but I've still got these politics going on. And so you've got differences of opinion because people are trying to climb up the ladder, say. And so the diversity of thought is the fact that you want something I don't want and et cetera, et cetera. Or you can have a bunch of techies in the room and we're arguing about the right way to lay out a, a fourth normal form database. And I'm bringing in ideas based on the past where I like to break fourth normal form because it's, it's expensive. <laughs> if you know what I mean, it's expensive to, to, to stick with that theoretical thing. And it, that's, again, diversity of thought. And we're, we're experienced. I think everybody's experienced with the fact that, hey, even if we're all, quote unquote, the same, everybody has different ideas. And it's just that the variety of different ideas and the types of different ideas may change when you've got diversity on, on all these classical lines, you know, diversity of gender, diversity of uh, race, uh, diversity of experience. But you know what? Life is conflict <laughs> and life is negotiation. And life is understanding new things. And the new things can come from someone who looks just like you or someone who looks totally different than you. It doesn't really matter. It's still a new idea and you have to be open to it. Yeah, I agree 110%. I think it's important to really evaluate what what the results are from these people, from each individual that's contributing, and then really seeing what the outcome is. And as long as people understand what the end game is, most people are contributing to the best of their abilities. They're not there to really fight you. They're there to, to bring their um, ideas to the table. And if you see someone fighting you, for me personally, I've had side meetings with those individuals and tried to understand what's going on and why they feel the way they do so that I'm not holding back the rest of the team and just closing those um, issues on the side so that we can move forward. But that's usually what you always do in a, a project like that. You've got to be able to understand where what's holding you back and move forward. Don't let the whole team be held back. That is dynamite, dynamite advice. I mean, everybody, we've all been there. It's like, I got to take this person off to the side and have a side conversation. And that's where the real actual, you know, togetherness starts to happen. I mean, what are you so stuck on? And that is an extremely important thing to pick up that, that you know, we, we have those conversations right now. In fact, teams that don't get along, even if they're all of the same ilk and stuff like that, they they're the ones that can't have these really open and honest communications with each other, this conversations with each other to, to hash out what's really bugging you. I mean, come on, let's go have a beer, a pizza and figure this out. And, and you're right. That's the, it's the exact same thing. I mean, there's nothing magic about bringing in a whole room of classically diverse people. We're still going to have these one-on-one -on -one problems to, to work out. I find it interesting when you were talking about that, you know, different teams might have different, you know, there might be a struggle between different teams. And when there's usually a struggle between different teams, it might be there's different goals, different objectives that are being laid out for them. And so it's really important from the top down that goals are set that really align the overall teams to work together and not to be in conflict. But usually when I've seen that where one team is against another, it's either that they've created it within the company to create a competition or the other side is that there's been competitive goals that are now causing an issue as far as results. I wonder, because now we're actually, we're talking about something that is common to, uh, I love this, we're wildly off script. I know. I love it. This is exactly <laughs> what I want to happen. But it's interesting when you talk about things like this 
everybody and everybody listening has been this. Yeah, I know. We always have these. We have to have this big conversation because somebody wants X and somebody wants Y. Why is it such a a sort of uh, common element of humanity that that you know we got groups of people we can't seem to agree, and it's almost like <clears throat> all this worrying about diversity and inclusion is like, well, if I could take out a couple of variables that make us different, maybe those conversations would be easier. I'm still going to have these differences of opinion, but I've got less things to be different about, and so maybe I can try to get to a solution. And the question is, yeah, but all those differences, they actually contribute to the stew. So deal with it. You've got to come, you've got to be able to deal with your professional as well as your cultural differences, and you'll end up coming up with a better uh, solution. I mean, maybe that's the secret here. Well, I think just like you said, I think there's commonality in all of us, but there is differences. And really, isn't that what we want? We want both the commonality. We want to see where that commonality is and then where the differences are so that we can get to the final result. And that's not just in people, but it's also in the, um, you know, what is the common goal that we're trying to achieve? What is the project we're trying to achieve? And what is that commonality that we all want to um, finally get to? And where are we coming up with differences that we need to either agree on or determine that it's not going to be um, a portion of the project. Once again, specific stories telling how diversity has worked in the past at real life organizations. These really help bring the message home. So, okay. Diversity is a powerful change maker in the organization. Fine. Uh, but how come it seems to take so long to make important changes happen like this? You know, as we went through our list of topics, Judy wanted to make sure we dedicated some time on this podcast talking about the ideas being announced at the beginning of the year at the NASDAQ. This is the beginning of 2021. These are requirements for diversity at leadership levels. Now, is that the best way to make change happen or should it be more organic? And what really is the best level to introduce change like this? So, so it's, it's all massively changing. Um, but I do want to ask you some about this. It's, yeah, we, so fascinating the conversation about, about change and stuff like this and how companies should really embrace this stuff, but why does it take uh, um, organizations like NASDAQ to require uh, changes of the board and stuff like that? I mean, why don't you tell me, because you wrote a lot of notes about the, the NASDAQ changes recently, but why does it have to always come down to that? Why can't this happen organically? Well, just remember, change is hard for anyone. I mean, people have a hard time making really minor changes, let alone big changes. And this is going to be a big change. So I think you have to think back to, well, well, first of all, what NASDAQ is proposing so that we're all on the same page is that they're requiring thousands of companies in the stock exchange to include women, racial minorities, and LGBT individuals on their board. And it would be one of the most, most forceful moves yet to bring greater diversity to the U.S. So they're basically saying at least one woman and one person of diversity, whether that's going to be racial minority or LGBT. So what you've seen is that 
internationally, they've been doing this for years. From a women perspective, I remember in 2003, Norway did it. And besides Norway, there's been so many European countries that have followed through on this already. We just need to get on board to the changes. And if you think about the U.S. already, we've got California, Colorado, Illinois, Maryland, Massachusetts, and Pennsylvania sure. already pushing for women on boards. So what's, the, in my mind, what's the difference? I think if you look at some of the things like PwC has said in the past, they've basically stated, and any of the other, like Baines has also stated it, the more your company is diverse, then your board should be diverse and it should reflect what your company is doing. And when you have more diversity of people on your board, you will get much better results in the decisions. And I, I honestly believe that is true. And it's been proven in these um, different companies internationally already. So, so I got this great idea. I just made this up. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I literally just made this up. But um, uh, maybe this is the easy way to do it. And this is the most effective way to do it. Because, you know, the thing is, I've got a group of folks that came up with this idea for a business, and we're running this business, and we happen to not be diverse. So if you, and we're the operating executives of the company. So if you force diversity on me, you're going to actually break up some of the magic that made this thing work in the first place. Okay, we'll let you go with that for a while. Fine. But if you require the board has to have diversity, then these executives, their boss, the board, uh, you know, on behalf of the shareholders, uh, uh, they can actually help introduce that diverse uh, thinking to get things started, it's sort of a halfway point, because it's easier to require the board be uh, diverse than require the executive team to be diverse, because the board, strictly speaking, doesn't run the company. It's there for oversight and for um, for making sure they're they're thinking about the right things and stuff like that. But boards don't run companies. The operating executives run the companies, and so maybe maybe uh, demanding diverse or requiring diverse boards is a shortcut way to get that right way of thinking in, and sort of shortcut that that short circuit that idea that um, I don't know we're the guys that that we're the white guys that 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 invented this stuff. You can't take us out. Like fine, then then have a diverse board. And make sure that you're beholden to them, and they will make it happen. Puts more pressure on boards. But maybe that's maybe that's a way to think about it. Does that sound well, good, or does that sound like? A... Well, I don't have a problem with that. I think you you're <laughs> going to see with if you look at Nasdaq. Here's what I'm going to say: is if you look at Nasdaq, Nasdaq is basically telling even with these boards that if for some reason you can tell us why you can't have diversity, then we will document that. But that'll be made aware, made out out to the made available to the public. The SEC has to approve this whole thing, first of all. It sure. hasn't been approved. I think we should make sure we note that. Um, yeah, okay. But bottom line is, I do think it will float through the organization. Once you start to see diversity in the boards, you're going to probably start yeah. seeing it in leadership. And really, how many oh, I'm of totally us, agree. I don't think yeah, it's sorry. bad to see um, if, if, a, if a group of people get together because of their skills, and they want to start a, an organization, mm -hmm. I think that's fine. 
if they're all of the same race, but I think over time they have to realize that they have to become diversified. I think true companies are looking at that. Um, investors are looking at that now and it's going to be important from, from buy-in from the outside world, I think. I must say, Judy was so patient with me through the entire conversation. Uh, we were interrupting each other so often as we laid out the different questions and answers, uh, and her experiences didn't always connect with my way of thinking and vice versa. But then, hey, that's a core idea of diversity in actual practice. You know, this kind of environment gets you a richer conversation, a better output on your project, or a better business outcome for your company. Now, as I mentioned before, my conversation with Judy went very long and there were plenty of other meaningful things that she was talking about based on her past experience. So I did put uh, Judy's LinkedIn information in the podcast notes. Please reach out directly to her to continue the conversation if she's got you thinking about anything specific. But for now, I'm over my planned time. So let's draw this to a close. Yes, it's the end of another episode of Tell a Whiskey with thanks to my guest, Judy Foley. Another Texas resident, not sure why I'm getting so many, it must be the weather. As always, a few end credits for you and a bunch of easy to remember URLs. Tell a Whiskey is a production of Maker Turtle LLC. You can find out more about the podcast at tellawhiskey.com. I would encourage you to subscribe to this podcast and also get on the mailing list for the Maker Turtle newsletter. You can get that done at MakerTurtle.com. And again, this podcast is sponsored by the book, Don't Think So Much, a simpler approach to digital transformation that creates value and connects people. To find out more about the book, check out DontThinkSoMuch.com. The music you are listening to right now is called Del Rio Bravo. The bits in the middle of the show are from a tune called Thinking Music, and the opening music is called Modern Jazz Samba. All of these pieces are by Kevin McLeod and are being used under a Creative Commons license. There are links to Kevin's music and the details of this license on telewhiskey.com. That's it for this week. Thanks again. <laughs>